What's up, guys? Welcome to the Couple Nurses Podcast with your host, Matt Sartrek, and myself, Peter Fendura. This is a podcast where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics, one conversation at a time. Thank you guys for tuning in on this beautiful Friday. Hope you guys check us out on Patreon. That's right, Patreon is out. It's live. Got some good stuff on there for you. Thank you for everyone on YouTube. Make sure you guys leave a comment. Make sure you guys subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Vlogs coming out weekly. Couple of news coming out weekly. We got some interviews coming up throughout this whole month and probably the next month. And guys, don't forget to rate us. We like those stars. What's up, Matt? I'm doing fabulous, man. Guest number two of 2021. Welcome. We would like to introduce our returning guest, Kaimu Schledge. And Kaimu is an OR nurse. He is also a nurse practitioner student and has a YouTube channel called Kamil RN. And he also had COVID, so why not chat about that, right? <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to discuss healthcare, nursing, COVID, what it's like during this pandemic. Mm. And if you're interested in him, you could find him at Kamil RN underscore. How are we doing, Kamil? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I'm uh, happy to be on the podcast again. This is very exciting. I've looking forward to it for the past few days like after i got covid you know i was at home i was quarantined just scrolling through my phone and i would always see you guys you know posting stuff you like talking about nursing and healthcare and covid and i was like you know what i got an idea i want to reach out to um, Peter and Matt and ask them if, you know, they would be interested in talking to me about having COVID because um, I had some pretty unique symptoms, I think. And um, like with a whoop strap, I had some uh, pretty cool things that um, happened. So I thought, why not see if they would want to Talk to me. And here we are. <laughs> so let's talk to the elephant in the room. How did you feel during COVID? How did it feel like? What did you, oh, like what happened so, then? So it all started out um, like New Year's Eve. I was on my way to my sister's house. Um, and uh, in the car, on my way there, I got a um, notification on my phone. I opened it. And I opened my Whoop app, and it said that I have, I'm in the middle of an activity right now, and I'm at 11.8 strain. I was like, "What the hell? Like, no I, I'm in the car. What's going on?" And I like checked my heart rate. It was like in the hundreds. I was like, "What? What's going on here?" And um, I was like, "You know, maybe I had too much coffee or whatnot, you know." And then I. Um, out to my sister's house and I started to get like very mild diarrhea. And I thought, you know what? I uh, had some beers. Maybe it was beer shit. So I was like, whatever, let's keep on going, you know? And then um, um, a few days later, like I started to develop some congestion. I never had a fever. And then um, on the Monday morning after two years, I woke up. I felt like I got hit by a truck. I was like, I feel like crap. So um, 
I woke up, I was like, um, I don't have a fever, so I won't go to work. I went to work. Um, I, I was in a, I was a er, er, early start for a ortho case. Uh, I did the whole case, but I felt like crap the whole time. Like even my coworkers were like, are you feeling okay? Because I was like, I felt hot, but I didn't have a fever and, and I was just like mentally not there. I just felt like crap. So I um, asked if I could go home and um, I went home in the morning and I went straight to get a swab for COVID and it came back positive. And I was like, well, that explains that, you know? So um, <laughs> I then like went home and um, for the next few days, I was in bed, like with a crazy headache and um, extremely dizzy and fatigued, but I never had a fever, never had a cough. Um, I just had a bit of congestion and yeah, that's about it. It was uh Pretty crazy. Also, like the few days leading up to um, New Year's, when I noticed that uh, my whoop app, I strain was high. Like my recovery was consistently low. I was like, "What's going on?" Like I'm getting enough sleep. I'm doing all the things that the whoop app like recommends. Don't eat, you know close to bedtime don't drink alcohol close to bedtime and I was doing all these things I was like what's going on like is this like whoop strap not working you know and then I got the diagnosis I was like oh that explains it you know so yeah yeah it's probably HRV that you the the app kind of picked up most on right like yeah the whoop app. so as soon as your HRV is low like is it stress that you're experiencing, you know, f physically or from working out or having hardships and all that, or, or is it from a mental standpoint, or it could be just sickness. And that's probably how yeah. everything got triggered. Yeah, it's cool. I want like the, <clears throat> I wish the swoop strap um, had more, well, cause if you think about it, the swoop strap does have a lot of um, variables that they play around with like respiratory rate and it tracks your whole activity. So they, whoop strap actually did a good job because this is continuous monitoring, right? So they have so much variables to incorporate that they could figure it out pretty well. Like even with the whole recoveries, like the recoveries are probably more accurate now than they have been a few months ago. Cause I think I'm on like my sixth month of wearing whoop now. So imagine yeah. how much d data they have compiled on me already. And imagine how yeah. the AI program, if they, if they do have what they're doing it properly, it should adapt to me, right? So as you prolong the, the whoop wearing process, the more it's gonna know about you. Yeah. And it's gonna be able to better predict everything. Because now, yeah. What I notice is what's happening now more frequent than I did before is it's actually logging my naps without me actually putting it in. So my work naps actually get are getting tracked these last couple of shifts. Wow. Which is interesting to see. I, yeah. I and even I don't have that. And even when I napped um before my last shift, it tracked it. So I think over time, I think it's gonna get to know you a little little bit better and it's gonna automatically track certain things better. Yeah. The th only thing is still is with activity of me lifting weights, it doesn't raise my heart rate very much. Yeah. yeah. So it still doesn't track it automatically. So I still manually input it. But if I like stair mash, if I do cardio, it, it, it um, notifies yeah. right away that I'm doing an activity. So uh, you mentioned something there. You said work nap. 
yeah. what's a work map like <laughs> i don't uh like i um heard it's that in California. thing california yeah yeah it's definitely california thing that's nuts yeah so so we have breaks where the nurse completely takes over our, our patient for us so we could leave for that amount of time oh jeez. so what we do is we decide to take a nap you know you get like a blanket nice. or like a hoodie and then you cozy up for a half an hour or however much time you have and what what sucks yeah what sucks now you mentioned naps right uh, we used to have a whole room dedicated to naps there was literally a whole circle of recliners face to the wall and you could be like 10 oh, nurses geez. at once all just like knock the hell out or that's like awesome. just yeah and like now though you can't do that because of the whole distancing and they're thinking oh, it's yeah. a threat for spreading infection so they lock that room down so oh, now it's yeah. harder to nap and you gotta like find specific you just gotta go on a flat couch sometimes or like some patient waiting room type of mm -hmm. facility at night yeah. and just like crash really quick yeah, but it's nice, dude. Definitely works, man. Yeah. Naps are, are, I love it. And I always have my break right before I have to draw labs. So my ideal break time is between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m. I, I do 1 a.m. too because then I come back from my nap and I go straight to drawing labs and straight business. And yeah. I have a whole routine figured out. Yeah, if, if, you, if your day runs like that. Yeah. Kamil, Kamil, I was wondering, like, how was the OR during the pandemic? I know, like, elective procedures were stopped at one point and resumed, oh, yeah. I think. We had a phase where it opened up and then it closed up again. I don't know what's going to happen now because of the cases going down. How's, how's your experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, in the, in the height of COVID, you know, like in March, April, May of uh, 2020, like the operating rooms were like completely closed, at least in my hospital and to my understanding and hospitals around the nation and uh it was like a ghost town we only operated if it was a class a emergency so like a ruptured aorta for example like that's a emergency that we will operate no matter what but it was like it was for the first few weeks management didn't really know what to do with all the OR nurses because we would basically get to work, sit there for 12 hours and do almost nothing, you know, say if all like the organizational stuff and housekeeping stuff is all complete, then either we would work on like our health stream, which is like the continuing education or just hang out and wait for a hopeful surgery to come along. And after a few weeks of that, um, management was like, let's use the OR nurses to help out on the floors where um, they're needed because our hospital was getting slammed by COVID. So there was a few nurses that went into the ICU who had ICU experience. There was a few nurses that um, helped with housekeeping. There was a few OR nurses that helped um, up on the med search floors. And I was one of the few nurses that went up on the med, med search floors. Um, so that's what they did. And we would hold off elective surgeries until we have at least 20% um, open beds, you know, for all the 
post-operative patients to occupy. If we had, if we did not have that, um, because these beds would be filled with COVID patients, then we would not do elective surgeries. And that's how it was also the second time around too in the uh, spike at, you know, the end of summer too. That's how it was. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. We have like, we have a few um, clean beds. What's like four or five, I want to say, in the ICU? Something like that, maybe six? That we maintain? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that are open, yeah. And everything else is like COVID. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that was literally COVID, yeah. So how did it feel going back to bedside? Because you haven't done it for a while, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I was not looking forward to it. Like, I have n- nothing against bedside nurses. Um, mm-hmm. it, it takes a very, you know, it's, I feel like it's just not for me mm-hmm. doing bedside. Um, when I was up there, they had me like reorientate um, for bedside nursing. And I haven't done bedside nursing for like two years, you know? So I haven't started an IV, that means in two years. So I was like, um, all right, let's do this, you know? And luckily they set me up to the floor I was on before I went into the OR. So I knew more or less all the nurses there, but um, no, like it was fine. Like at first I was stressed out about it because I was like, yo, I'm putting my license at risk because I haven't worked bedside and I could screw something up. Like the medications that we use in surgery are completely, completely different than the ones we administer up on the floor. So I'm like, I even, you know, had to like, I had to refresh my memory on like certain like antihypertensives and antibiotics and all this stuff because it's just not things we use in the OR. Yeah. And I was up on the floor for about a month and a few days. It's funny that you mentioned the whole starting IVs because we have the same experience almost. Like everybody that's in ICU right now is intubated. So they usually either have an A-line mm-hmm. or they have a central line. Like I, we, we are not starting peripheral IVs at all. Really? Like, yeah. And I don't do any butterfly sticks to draw my labs because usually yeah. everybody has access man yeah, like it's, yeah it's it's totally different it's i the icu is like yeah even just gowning up and like making it seem like it's out of a movie and everything else like it's it's a trip it's, it's been a while since i started i yeah it has it's probably been like i want to say at least damn maybe like five since the beginning of the contract probably i think i started one iv so far in in, in our uh, in the hospital because everyone's like it's a central line everyone's got a trialysis trialysis or a, yeah. or triple lumen that's crazy, dude. Yeah, e- even uh, blood sugars, for example, like we have A-lines on yeah. most patients. I don't even have to do a finger stick to get blood. I just like pull back on the A-line and I take an insulin syringe, pull back, and we have runners in the ICU to help out. So there's already somebody yeah. standing outside of the room with a glucometer. I pour the blood on the little alcohol pad, 
she, I give it to her, she scans it. And then after she shows me the blood sugar, I pull it away in the room, the little strip. So it's all sterile, nothing's getting contaminated. Yeah. And then whatever the blood sugar is, she could scan my medication through the glass window so there's no contamination. And I pull up the amount of you know, insulin, we could do the verification. Hey, this is how many units, and yeah, business is done like that. Yeah, it's like so much more standardized now. Like nursing, there's a standard practice. There's a, there's yeah, for every there's a protocol for everything. You know, you know, there's a whole like before you know, when this or when this first started, it was you had to have a paper or a ninety five to enter the room and a gown up and everything like that, and then it's like progressed through that. Yeah. Now it's like you're trying to cluster care, trying to be in, in the room for like maybe four or five times a shift instead of walking in and out nonstop, like. Everything is standardized. Yeah, like yeah. labs, we put, you know, usually we put like, we take baggies to the outside of yeah. the door, draw the labs, and then we drop that lab into that clean baggie outside the door. And somebody picks yeah. them up and then drops it off, you know, at the tube station. Or you, yeah. or you do it yourself. Yeah, or you do it yourself when you've gone out or gone off, dude. And it's, it's interesting to think about even after COVID, how many of these things are going to continue and like, become just like how things are done you know mm -hmm. i uh remember like um a few months ago we had a meeting with um the director of nursing at our hospital and um she was like talking about the kind of stuff what you, you, you just said how like things now are going to be different for a long time, mm -hmm. if not forever, you know? And you know she it. mentioned that um, she asked all the nurses who worked during the AIDS epidemic and, you know, a few of the OR nurses, the older ones, they raised their hands. And she asked like, what's one change that, happened after the AIDS epidemic. And I was like, I don't know, but these older nurses said after the AIDS epidemic, it became standard practice to wear gloves and switch out gloves between every patient. I was like, wait, what? No so way. Yeah. After the AIDS, AIDS epidemic, gloves became a thing, you know, it became standard practice and then she said like now masks are going to become a standard practice at least in hospitals for all healthcare workers you just when you go into a hospital you put a mask on you know that's just what you do I, damn I, yeah, I, that's mind-blowing yeah that's a very it's a very good perspective yeah. one thing i worry about though is i hope that masks still become a standard practice for our society that everybody has to wear like i don't outside think, a hospital i don't think that should be the norm because if anything yeah. i think that's scaring people more than anything just interacting with california residents it's like everybody seems sick to you everybody seems like they have the virus everybody should stay away from me yeah. like that's the that's like the vibe that i'm getting and it's weird yeah. because masks weren't meant to be put on healthy people mm -hmm. like this yeah. is the this is the reason why i freaking eat healthy work out and do everything else so i don't i could be fit and inter interact with society and have a strong enough immune system for that exactly yeah. look yeah. if already incorporated masks into our society like imagine yourself in like 2019 imagine if you saw somebody wearing a mask outside 
Yeah, yeah like with the whole like, yo, that guy's wearing a mask. Like, yeah. Yeah. Dude, yeah, you'd be like, why is he wearing a mask? Probably got some crazy disease. Now, <laughs> now it's just like a normal cancer's thing. immunocompromised. Yeah. Like, you don't know. Yeah, now, now it's just like, oh, it's just that you don't even think about it. It's already just how you've already been slowly programmed to view people. Yeah, and like I said, hopefully it doesn't happen inside in like outside the hospital kind of stuff because we don't need them technically outside the hospital. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like I'm not a immunologist, but like yo, we haven't we have an immune system for a reason. You know, mm-hmm. like you don't have to be walking around like sh- um, sheltering yourself from every single you know mm-hmm. from everybody else um, with the fear that you're going to get sick. I mean, you've lived your life up until now being exposed to God knows what, you know, and we're still alive thanks to our immune system, you know? Yeah, people are going to die regardless. Like, if it's not COVID-19 taking people off, it's, you know, sharks in the ocean, falls, whatever, strokes, diabetes, cancer. Like, there's always going to be something to die from, right? Yeah. So, like, it's almost trying to prevent the inevitable now at this point. But now I, f- I feel like we're not even trying to prevent the inevitable. We're just trying to, like, instill these values and, and these mindsets in individuals regarding, like, immunology, regarding um, virology and medicine, saying that, hey, don't think for yourself. Don't do your research. Just, hey, trust us. We know what, what to do in this situation. Right? And yeah. it's been politicized. Like, think about it, guys. Um New president, right? How is there a new president and now there's already been a week or almost a month of COVID decline? Like what happened? Did this switch in presidency cause COVID-19 to stop being as, as effective as it was? Or, or what's going on? And California said that they're going to start releasing numbers. Yeah. Like how does that make any sense? Yeah. Like it, it doesn't make noise. It's no like sense. corporate America back at it, dude. Right. And, and that's what I, yeah. Also like, we need to realize how important this immune system is where we need to be exposed to other mm-hmm. like people because that actually helps our immune system stay like sharp, you know? It's like working out. If you only worked out once a month and you had these maxes, right? You could deadlift 315. You can't just deadlift 315 mm-hmm. next month. Like your mu- your muscles ha- need to be constantly like well Hold lubricated, on. like a fine-tuned machine. Yeah. And that's our yeah. immune system. So by us, you know, killing bacteria on every single damn surface and constant hand hygiene and masks like what are we exposed to just our own flora right. what are yeah. the long-term consequences of that we don't know mm. yeah, we're, we're gonna thing, see it and this whole vaccine too with the whole booster shot like you need two vaccines to to fight out this this one um this one virus and then are you gonna need another one for the next strain like is it gonna be a continuous effort they've been thinking about combining yeah. the flu and covid shot together to make it just one shot yeah like and that's what's weird it's like we're going we're not talking about being healthy and being like self-sufficient the news is like, oh, hey, you need mm-hmm. this. And then there's a new strand. We need a booster. And now we're just being consumers again. Yeah. And just a n- different product that they have created, which is vaccines. That's what, like, food is, processed foods, all this crap. It's getting it's weird, man. Instead of, like, instilling that mindset in, I could buy by protection, like, with vaccines and stuff, we're, we're not talking about how to prevent your body from getting destroyed by it on its own, right? Like, like, C, like CDC just put a vitamin D on, on, on there, like what, last month? Yeah. Right? Like, like what? Like this was known months and months ago. No one's, nobody wanted to address it. Yeah. Because it's a, it's a cheap and effective way to do it and no one's going to be able to make money off it, right? Compared to a vaccine. Yeah. Like it kind of speaks for the culture, maybe, you know, like there's always that 
easy easy way out you know like as opposed to staying healthy eating right working out you know um yeah like there's always that easy way out like i'm not saying that everybody that gets the vaccine is looking for the easy way out but i've met a handful of people who are like overweight they have diabetes hypertension and they have the audacity to preach you know like i'm getting the vaccine to prevent myself from dying from getting hospitalized you know and it, i don't know it just seems like you you have other issues you should address you know first or as well as uh on top of covid-19 get your hypertension in check get your diabetes in order you know start eating healthy lose some weight you know and that'll go that'll get you very far in uh not being um as affected by covid-19 yeah both my grandparents had had covid-19 and you know they have diabetes and they have hypertension but that's just because they're older in their 70s you know so yeah. that kind of comes with age and they both survived the fine like yeah they they said they were very sick they felt horrible but you know they came out of fine why because they're not you know super unhealthy individuals just the diabetes that they that they have isn't because of you know their consistent bad eating it's just because they're older and their pancreas is able to produce enough insulin as much as it did before when they were younger you know that, that's what it is so that's kind of it's not really as strong of a comorbidity as somebody that's like 60 years old and that just eats junk food mcdonald's all day and yeah. they need that insulin and they're diabetic because of the stuff that they eat they their pancreas produces enough it just doesn't it, their pancreas produces insulin at a, at a good rate but the amount of carbs they're consuming is the pancreas isn't able to catch up so yeah. that, that support with that insulin. You, you guys paint a very good picture because my grandpa is in his, he's 74, 75, and he has COPD. Very bad. He was a carpenter for a long time, breathing in all those like um, wood chips. Like mm -hmm. he gets winded when it's winter. He can't like walk. Mm -hmm. So he got COVID and he did just great. Mm -hmm. He lost his appetite to eat, a little fever. You know, they do little Polish remedies, but he was fine. So it just shows you that COVID could be less of a respiratory issue. It's more of a metabolic mm. issue that we're facing. And this is what's leading to actual death. And that's what's like, that's what we see in the ICU, dude. We see patients that are undiagnosed diabetics coming in with HbA1c's above six, even sevens. And this is the reason why they're intubated on ECMO and they're on insulin drips and we're fighting more of metabolic problems. I think there's, I think as as we move on in medicine, we're going to be able to separate, like let's say for example, hypertension and diabetes, because they're pretty easy examples to kind of explain for this, for this idea. I think as we move on with medicine, we're going to be able to differentiate between hypertension caused by someone's lack of exercise and nutrition versus hypertension caused by somebody that just genetically predisposed to it. And I think they're going to be able to separate these, these things on such a good level that they're going to be able to kind of treat them differently. Like, you know, like hypertension through genetics, is it going to be 
not as big of a predisposition to dying from COVID-19 as hypertension due to poor poor diet and poor exercise. Like, you know what I'm saying? I think that's, that's how deep medicine is going to go. And even with diabetes, you're going to be able to differentiate diabetes between diabetes you got from the food that you eat or diabetes that you got just from being old and just be just because your pancreas uh, is point. just kind of you know slowing down in time. If we already haven't, but I'm, I feel like that's going to be more mainstream. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's going to be like, instead of like type 2, type 1 diabetes, it's going to be diabetes due to diet and exercise and it'll be diabetes due to age. Like, you know, like that's how deep we're going to be in the sauce. E- even um, Alzheimer's, like we know that Alzheimer's is insulin resistance in their brain technically, and it's called type 3 diabetes. Why hasn't that been like discussed? We're still treating it as neurodegenerative disease. Mm. What if it could be a di- different um yeah, predisposition. Right. And, Isn't that crazy? And ultimately, that's that has to do with medicine, but it's also phys- physicians. They're so overworked that they don't have the time to do research and think of and brainstorm new ideas. Mm-hmm. Just like nursing has become tasky, physicians have a very task handy too, where they're just like going down the row and ordering these things. This is what's going on. This Definitely. is the standard. Not questioning norm. Not saying, hey, maybe we have, we should look into different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you have that medical. Um, side of it where you have professors they get together and they have these these sessions and but i'm not sure what goes down in, in those you know but i'm sure a lot of crazy crazy things crazy ideas pop up yeah like you know but yeah definitely overwork definitely if you're overworked it definitely shuts off that whole creative intuition and creative mindset in your head you yeah. just have time for it yeah okay. I mean, that I was... results in uh and that results in like the population not being as educated you know which affects their health you know yeah i think that's, that's a huge um correlation as well mm-hmm. i was i was gonna ask how is the nurse practitionerships going like how's school going with everything oh, yeah. online classes so, that must be a headache yeah i'm gonna go to you for my, my yearly physicals please <laughs> that's gonna <laughs> be my, my prostate exam so. too i got the loop ready dude <laughs> uh so no it's it's good um the program i'm in is uh three years long so it's kind of made for like the full-time working nurse where the for the first two years of the program it's it's all online so we haven't been really affected by the quarantine because it's all been online anyways i still haven't been on campus at the university i'm at because um i started in the beginning of 2020 and we were supposed to have like a orientation but that i canceled so i'm already a year and a few weeks into it and um i still haven't been on campus which is pretty crazy um but yeah but then yeah after these two years we have a whole year and a semester of of a clinicals so it's pretty exciting um at the moment it's pretty manageable i'm just doing one class at a time so i work full-time and then this program is considered full-time it's um specifically it's uh it's the family nurse practitioner track and it's a msn yeah do you know what kind of NP you want to go into, like acute or family? Yeah, so um, I remember when I first 
started to consider the nurse practitioner track. Um, I um, never really thought like, hey, I'm going to become a nurse practitioner until I actually started working in the operating room. I met these uh, cool um, nurse practitioners in surgery. I was like, wait, what? I didn't know that NPs could work in the operating room. I was like, I've heard of physician's assistants, you know, being, you know, specializing in surgery, but I've never heard of NPs. So these guys, what they are, they just had OR nursing experience. And then they got their RNFAs, which is registered nurse first assist. It's like a certificate that you can basically perform perform surgery under the direct supervision of a surgeon. So you can like close incisions, you can even make incisions and you're basically operating then, you know? And it's also like a, a slight increase in pay. And then these guys went back to get their nurse practitioner and um, that provided them with, you know, the ability to be healthcare pro providers and assess, diagnose and treat patients as well as assist in the operating room. So what I want to do is kind of like that, where um, be a nurse practitioner that works alongside a surgeon that can, I can help him out or her out by having office hours, you know, seeing patients in clinic, um, doing consults, um, doing pre and post-op rounding, as well as helping out in the operating room. And the advantage of being also a nurse practitioner and having this role is that as a healthcare provider, then you can bill the patient's insurance too. Mm -hmm. So that provides a slight increase in pay as well. So uh, that's kind of what I want to do. Um, I've already had a few surgeons I work with, like ask like, hey, how long do you have left in school? Because I'm looking to hire a nurse practitioner. And I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Um, I've got a few years left. So um, yeah, this route I want to take is kind of a non traditional route it's more like unique but it still exists and not many people know that you can be a nurse practitioner and also like help out in the operating rooms and, and it's yeah. cool because when I, we're in a pack here i was looking at their schedule what kind of surgeries are performed and there was a, a orthopedic surgeon that had cases that were literally overlapping so he yeah. was from like eight to ten but at 9.45, there's already another case that's going to be yeah. started or 30 minutes prior. And literally he has an 
I think uh, PA, I don't know what they use yeah. here, that like assists him. And as he's, you know, going to the next room, starting the procedure, she's finishing up the patient, whether it's probably suturing or whatever procedure or the yeah. surgeries are closing him up. And this guy is technically making more money in the long run. And he's helping the hospital profit because yeah. he could do eight surgeries instead of like six or five, yeah. you know, a day. Like, it's pretty cool. Yeah, when I did insane. my yeah when i did my like or like shadow rotation we literally had um so it was in my old hospital it was a it was a heart transplant which was, was very cool to see and we had a team open up the chest surgeon came in did um did the cuts or, or whatever no we actually had somebody come in and start a person on a bypass then somebody else opened them up uh, then a surgeon came in did his part left different team closed them up and the surgeon just kept going from yeah. room, room for room dude yeah and he would like some of the rooms, like a surgeon would be doing the, the OR, like the, the surgery on the heart, and he just hop in and help him out real quick. Like, you know, just, just, or just check it out. Like, he just have a few tools, like the one surgeon's operating on, on the patient, another surgeon in there, like doing his, his own thing, like just looking through shit, and he leaves. Like, it was, it was interesting, interesting to see. Yeah. They have like a little conversation, like, hey, yeah. how, like, how was your day? They have the rock and roll music playing in the background. Like, it's, it's very, it's, it's some, some shit goes down, dude. It's very, like, focused on, like, one thing, what's going on, yeah. right? Anesthesiologists do it the same way. That's why mm -hmm. CRNA is becoming a thing as well, is because a hospital can save money. Why have four anesthesiologists doing a surgery where you have three CRNAs, right? And then the anesthesiologist just has to come in from the beginning, watch how the patient is being sedated, and he goes over and checks in the other OR yeah. while the CRNA is managing this patient. And if, and if they have critical questions, they just could hit up the anesthesiologist right away. He's right there because mm -hmm. he's, you know, yeah. And, and that's when I shadow CRNA, that's what I seen. I'm like, wow, that's freaking cool. That's, mm -hmm. that's efficiency, you know? Yeah. And that's exactly what I see as well. You know, like the CRNAs are in all the rooms and the anesthesiologist is there to help them out, give them lunch breaks, you know, just make sure that there's, um, that everything is going well. Mm -hmm. And also like with the ortho surgeons, we get this one ortho surgeon uh, once a month he has two he has a PA and a, his own RNFA he's so efficient he does like eight or sometimes nine hips or knees like orthoplasties and these are like complicated surgeries but how it works is that he hops in a room he opens up the knee, um, puts the implant in, and then once the implant is cemented in, he leaves, his EA closes, he hops in the next room with a whole other team with his RNFA, they start, that patient leaves, then the EA hops in and helps them out, and then it just goes on and on and on, and they can be so efficient, it's insane. Yeah. That they can have eight like total knees done um, before like three p.m. I'm just like, this is insane. Yeah, yeah. That's I, why it's super I, I wonder if nursing bedside nursing could become like that, where and it's already happening. How there's like IV start teams and all that. Imagine having teams for specific sections. Oh like, yeah, but like again. What's the issue? Cost, right? Like there yeah. used to be lift teams where they come in and use lift patients for nurses. Why did that disappear? Budget. Imagine if there was like a 
a bathing and turning nursing team, like a group of three nurses that just bathe everybody, turn them. That's it, room to room to room to room. Yo. Do you have you have no idea what kind of decrease of workload that would be for us Dude. if I don't have to do two also, baths like, on both my intubated patients? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, like hygiene in patients would increase probably significantly because, I mean, Peter, like he worked in the nursing home with me. Can you imagine if we had just like nurses who's only job was to just keep the patient clean like that's all they did like how would that affect like infection rates and mortality you know like that's like the basics of nursing even florence nightingale was like keep yourself clean you know it'll reduce and reduce infections significantly it'll increase your lifespan like have we forgotten about that you know like yeah like yeah, the top things that people die from the hospital isn't it pneumonia and sepsis, which is basically two infections, you know, one of the lungs, one of the blood. Yeah. Do you ever wonder like how, what's the correlation that we don't know, you know, like, of course I do my best job to do, keep everything, you know, aseptic and stuff, but hygiene is with everything that's happening in the hospital, how busy it is, we're hanging pressers, like hygiene is probably most neglected mm-hmm. because, oh, because you, you could miss your patient's turn for that hour or whatever you missed, right? But you can't like not forget to draw labs, what's the PTT, adjusting the heparin, other, something's happening with the other patient, um, he's desatting, those are those issues. Hygiene is neglected, man. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. so true, dude. I think we'd see a lot less like caudies, clapsies, um, even maybe sepsis, if they could implement like those these these teams of nurses that would just bathe up a patient and, and clean them because sometimes you do a bath you charted they did the bath and you kind of just wiped it down real quick just because you're so busy yeah and you know yeah. I don't want to say like I've done it done it myself but that's not the most hygienic thing to do like I make sure to always scrub the central line but the rest of the body like it's not the you know most important thing at that time point yeah. in time you're, you're you're saying it how it is mm-hmm. and what if we yeah, need people the, to speak up about stuff like this yeah it's like the unfortunate truth you know that's just Oh, it is. And um, you know what? I have to say, like, uh, that was um, a part of the reason I just wanted to leave outside nursing. I was like, is this, like, what nursing is? Like, I just felt like I just envisioned it differently in my mind because you're so overwhelmed. I was just going in and out of rooms, making sure I paying my meds on time, making sure that I answer all the call lights and I chart and I call all the doctors and report all the labs, you know? I was like, what about just like the basics of nursing? Like, this is not like like what I wanted to really do. And um, I was attracted into the operating room because it was it was the clean it was structured you know you knew what your role was and you did that as opposed to a bedside nurse you're not only are you uh i think overworked with all these patients and doctors and um medications but yeah i just think that the operating room provided you with that structure and it gave me like a reason to 
yo, let's keep everything here clean because it's been proven if we don't, the patient will get a surgical site infection and that's just standard practice and there are no shortcuts. Mm. The amount of times I've seen nurses take shortcuts like chart, I gave a bath, but it didn't, it just, you know, half-assed the bath. And I, and I was, and that's just kind of like disheartening. I was like, I can't continue to work in this kind of environment. And I opted out to leave, but I think the real respectful thing is, or like the solution is to like, um, how do we address that, you know? That's a good point, man. Like, it's a good thing you bring, bring up. Like, unfortunately, that's how sometimes nursing is, and you can't really, like, do anything about it. And if you, like, if you, like, organization and going by the standards and everything, then OR definitely for you. Because especially, like, Metrage and Telefloors, you're never on your own schedule, right? No. Like, you have an idea of what you're going to do when, but then, hey, you got these two call-outs that, that, that popped up. You took care of both of them. Now you're an hour behind. You never work on your schedule. Almost like you work on a patient schedule. Yeah, that's why, like, we prefer the, or at least I, for myself, I'm sure you could agree with this, is why we prefer the ICU, is because majority of patients are intubated, sedated, and if they're intubated, sedated, for the most part, they're on our schedule. Yeah, but of course, things happen. Blood pressures tank. People crash. We we adapt. We adapt, adjust, and, and yeah. overcome basically. But for the most part, we at least have some kind of a structured schedule for ourselves because we know when we're going to give them the meds because they have an NG or they have a PEG, right? Yeah. We know when we're going to do their bath because they can't say no or a patient's not going to hit the call like wanting something at that time because they can't, right? So that's why we're, we have a lot more control over the patient than uh, other floors. Like in the OR, you have complete control over the patient because you're opening the patient up. They're always sedated. They're, yeah. always, they're always intubated. They're always not able to do anything. Yeah, but like if you... Devil's advocate here. I think mm. in med surge you have control, but in different aspects. You have control in, hey, your patient's blood pressure is not going to tank. There's more stability there. Yeah. So her uncontrol is the call light compared to you. Mm. Your patient is tanking or you got a mucus plug in there, desetting, and now you're running in there. So it's a different type of control too. Yeah, and like, yeah, completely agree. And I like the control that allows me to tie to the medication to fix that pressure instead of me bringing in more juice yeah. And crackers because you were hungry. I think. I, or I got you a know? tummy ache and yeah. we have to do something about this. Yeah, both it's, it's unpredictable. a different type of um, issue. Yeah. yeah, both are predictable. Both things you, you got to handle. But I just prefer to the one that leans more towards the critical blood pressure compared to the applesauce and the cranberry juice. Kind yeah. of but like what, but what you guys are explaining, it kind of sounds more stressful. Like, would you think that med surge nursing was... More stressful or ICU nursing? No, definitely ICU nursing. More Clearly, bringing cranberry and apple juice is more stressful for us, as you can tell. Um, but no, I'm not gonna lie. Like, there's yeah, days. actually, if you think about it, yeah, that frustrates me more than a patient's pressure. Yeah, like, yeah, and, and like that kind of situation call where lights. yes, call lights and needy patients. Like, yeah, I understand your hospital. You're, you're very sick, and you want to help you best you can. But sometimes, like, we're real busy, and we can't always give you the type of. Um, hospitality that, that you want right yeah so that does stress me out and that frustrates me more than the taking blood pressure yeah but you know what like i miss that nursing i miss that nursing where i had a relationship with my patient i talked yeah. to them i asked them questions i knew about their hardships what they're what's going on in their head what's stressing them aside from their health 
like I was able to help and, you know, like, I feel like I could be a freaking awesome lifestyle coach if I wanted. Like I could be at some, I could, I could coach people, right? It was cool helping and doing that on that yeah. end, aside from just taking care of them from like the physical body standpoint. And that's lost now because everybody has a breathing tube in. Yeah. But now you still get the other parts of the ICU where you get that patient that's ready to transfer and you're going to have a general conversation. And usually like when a person almost died and he's getting better, like that person is really emotional. And so it's almost like one of the best times to talk to a person because they tend to reflect on, on stuff. So you could always ask for, for guidance and you could also implement ideas because what they're going to be focused on is how is your life going to be different now than it was prior to coming yeah. into the hospital. Yeah. So it's a good time for them to reflect. Like you said, you can get a lot of knowledge from them, a lot of perspective. And it's also the best time to teach because now the patient is stepping into a life of the unknown, basically. Because, hey, they just had a cabbage, they had a heart attack, they were unconscious for, for a week. Now they, now they just woke up. Yeah. And doctor says, hey, yeah. you had you know emergent double bypass. You got complete gender diet. We got to start exercising. We're on these meds. And the patient's like, holy shit, I was in no meds coming in and I didn't exercise in order I care about my diet. Now I got to change all this. So it's a good way for them to reflect on how mess, they messed up their lives, which is where you could come in, have a good conversation with them. Hey, how was your life before? You asked them for intuition and stuff, stuff like that. And then yeah. you could also guide them. Yeah. So they, they could guide you through life, not to make the same mistakes that they've made. And you could guide them through their new life based on mistakes that they've made that you haven't made. Yeah, that's cool. Mm. And you can actually see that firsthand. And, you know, I'm sure it also affects your life and your health too. You're like, all right, I'm not going to make these mistakes this patient did. I'm going to stay on top of my diet, my exercise, you know? Yeah. yeah. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Come in. We appreciated you being on. Sorry for the background noise. I'm noticing they're freaking cutting the lawn right next to us super yeah. close. That's all right. And if you want to know more about Kamin or his YouTube channel, visit him at Kamil RN, correct? And on Instagram, Kamil RN underscore. Yes, that, that's right. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. This is awesome. I um, hope to be on again mm. sometime in the future. Mm. Thank you so much, man. We love having you on. Let's push for Kamil Schledz number three. Let's do it. Trilogy. Peace, brother. Bye-bye. Peace. Yeah.